Hey guys, welcome back to the Where the Light Is podcast, a podcast where we work to illuminate things in the spirit realm. We work to illuminate things in the word of God and we work and hope to strengthen the believer. I am Ruben. I'm your host. Um, Hope you guys are doing well. Hope you guys have been having a nice, nice season. I know this is a, a tough one. I know that there's a lot going on in this past year, but I hope that you as a believer are blessed as usual and you are keeping, 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 keeping in touch with the Lord and all that he has for you. Today we have a, a great message, a great word to bring to you and I hope to be able to bring it with clarity and with power. Um, so before we get started, as usual, let's pray. Holy Spirit, we come to you today and we ask you to place your hand on us. Place your hand on this message and deliver a fresh word, a word of knowledge and power. And a word that will not only take us to a place that is deeper in you, but will help extract the things that don't belong. Extract the thought processes and the things in our mind that don't belong wash our word with the washing of the word of the of the holy bible of your holy word uh, cleanse our minds and cleanse our toxicities and let us learn more about you reveal Jesus and all that he is reveal him holy spirit and surely we welcome you today in Jesus name amen um i hope you guys are doing well. I know every single uh, start of the episode, uh, every episode, I tend to invite the Holy Spirit, and uh, I just felt led to go ahead and explain that the reason why we welcome the Holy Spirit is because obviously, as a believer, He is in us. He lives in us. So people ask, "Why do you welcome Him?" Well, we welcome Him because just like any person, you may be present but you are not always welcome so in the yielding of ourselves and our time and our um our vessel we welcome the holy spirit to do a work to try not to grieve him and let him flow let him minister so we hope he does that today and we know he will um today's word is on a topic i called i entitled toxic god this is the um message for today it's called toxic God. Uh, I was led to do this study a while back. Actually, it's been like a few months since I was first led to do this study, but the Lord never released me to do so and to to, um, go ahead and release it until now. So I'm going to be having a few points made to uh, set the record straight. Um, I am being led of the Lord to clear the air and to lovingly guide the people of God back to this thing we call the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to try to get a few points down in this episode. And um, we may have to continue to next week, but we'll see as we get there. Um, My intention and mandate on these podcasts, as usual, are to explain, to teach, and to point at different topics, we're illuminating things to clear it up. The things that that are normally um, gray or are um, unknown, we we try to illuminate these things and let it be known and clarity be brought to every topic we try to speak about. Um, I aim to be as clear, as simple, and dumbed down as possible while still giving meat because we have people who need meat, not just milk. The Lord really has allowed me. To take a look at these things and really clear the air. No more 
religiously or religiosity defining things but in this podcast we simply work to deal with the simplicity of the gospel um so toxic god toxic god what i mean by toxic god i mean that um a lot of times in the christian walk are in general uh we see god defined as a messiah or a god that does not belong to or does not match up with the god of the bible we see a god that we have created in ourselves. we see a god that does not match what he says he is and today I want to clear up a few things that I've seen in the body of Christ that we are accusing the Lord of or we're saying that he is and that he clearly scripturally is not. And there's been a lot of misconceptions, a lot of um, gray area, a lot of things that the um, that people are accusing him of that are just misunderstanding. So honestly, it's very disheartening. To watch an entire congregation of people or a big chunk of the body doing this, uh, we find that they do it to make a God that fits their standards, it fits their ideals, or even molded by their own upbringing, their own culture, their own teaching to form a God that is completely unrecognizable compared to the one we see in the Bible. We start to see a Savior who isn't even a Savior, but he begins to resemble that of a taskmaster. See, again... There is a major, major problem in the body of Christ where we take that perfect God and we mold him to fit that ideal, that ideology, our own agendas, and we make a God that isn't perfect. We make a God that is humanistic, and um, in our ignorance, we begin to operate in pride because we are so arrogant. We are no longer um, able to be taught and molded. We are too proud to distinguish that of which is good and that of which is evil. We are deceived and we are being lied to. And we unknowingly make traditions of men to uphold. And we try to please a God ignorantly. So we have to know who God is. We know first off to start off this podcast. Isaiah 55 um, verse 8, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher are different than your thoughts. This moves us into our first point for today. God is a personal God. Again, God is a personal God. Uh, go ahead and get a pen and paper, write it down if you need to. God is a personal God. He is movable. In the sense that he isn't this stiff God that only speaks in King James uh, English, Old English. He he doesn't have to speak in the thou's or the arts or the the um thine or thy. He speaks in whatever he needs to be effective. That's why I don't believe in the oh, King James only Bible reading because the Lord uses what you need to get across to you and through his spirit he will identify where the things are off where the things are, are aren't exactly right so you don't have to be scared to be misled when you completely rely on the holy spirit to teach you because he will never never lead you astray um god is not the father is not a god only dressed in priest robes he's not a, a god who is a, a religious he's not a pharisee he understands humanity he understands how to approach us he understands what it's like to be us we know that hebrews 4:15 
it solidifies this, saying that for we not have not a high priest who cannot be touched with the feeling of our weaknesses, but was was in all points tempted like we are yet without sin. Meaning he is holy, but in the same sense, he knows what it's like to, to be where we are. He knows what it's like to be in our place. He was tempted and tried and and um, at all points. He knows what it's like to be a human. He knows and identifies with us. Yet he does have his own way and statutes that we live by. So you have to be careful. Because he did come to identify with our sin. And to get rid of um, the thing that separates men and God. Hence him tearing the veil. He tore the veil in the temple as a symbol of that separation being done away with. But we are to be careful while doing this. To not turn that God in, that became personal into a version of him that he is not because we get too familiar. It is it's okay to be familiar, but you got to remember that familiarity to a certain point. You don't want to be too familiar and think you know God too well. That's why Paul says, I strive and I wish and I work and I hope that I know and get to know God. Because if you are too stuck in that familiarity part, you may begin to, to lose that fear of God. What does fear of God mean? You honor God. That honor of God, that place where he is exalted in your heart, exalted in your life. Yes, he's a friend. He sent the Holy Spirit to be a friend. But not only a friend, he is sent to teach, to be your Lord, to be your Savior, to be your Father, to be our Master. We have to know that he is different while we are close. There is a difference between us and him. Um, and all of this should be checked as usual and renewed by the reading and the washing of the word. Uh, for example of a personal God, God being a personal God. If you recall the story of Samuel and Eli, Samuel hears, we hear Samuel hearing Eli's voice and he runs and goes over to, to the Lord and he says, he says, uh, not the Lord, he goes over to, uh, Eli and says, yes, what have you, what do you, what do you have to say? Did you call me? And we see Eli saying, no, that's not me. So he runs back and we see him running back and uh, running back to Eli again after he heard the second call. Did you call me? And Eli says, no, that was not me. And he, after a while, begins to realize that you are hearing is not me. It is the voice of the Lord. And so we see that Samuel learns the voice of the Lord, and but he heard it from a familiar voice that is the voice of his teacher, his mentor, the vo voice of his covering. So oftentimes the Lord will use a voice of the covering, but also he will be he will speak to you personally in a voice that is familiar, in a voice that is um that you will receive. He will mold his voice to his child. So we can't see uh a God that is strict and only speaks in one way, only speaks in King James. Because if you have someone, how ineffective would it be if he, if the Lord had someone who was uneducated, who was not knowing of that sort of thing, and he would speak and that child wouldn't understand what he said? No, no, God is a personal God. He works to come to us, to meet us, and to understand us. And he uses that understanding to, to be able to teach. Remember, the Holy Spirit is a perfect teacher. He is a perfect teacher. So in the teaching through the Holy Spirit and the voice being sent through the Holy Spirit, he will mold and move and be, and be like Paul, as Paul did. He became, Paul be, said, he, I become all things to all men. 
just as Jesus does. He becomes all things so that he may help us learn and grow and move. He becomes what we need. Um, we look at the relationship, another example, we look at the relationship uh, the father had with the different prophets. We look at the difference in relationship between Abraham, who was close to the Lord, and David. Um, God is not one to place in, uh, he's not one to be placed in a mold. He's not one to, um, he's not a cookie cutter God. He molds himself as Paul said. He becomes all things, all people. He's not a cookie cutter God. He becomes the thing we need. So if your God is only one that speaks one certain way and you judge another because he doesn't speak like he's speaking to you or he doesn't communicate or teach like he's teaching you and you condemn the other person because of this, you have a toxic um, uh, viewpoint of God. Because God will do what it takes. He will leave the 99 to get the 1. Meaning he will do what it takes to get that 1. God, this is number 2. Point number 2. God is not a mad God. He's not an angry God. God is often confused as a mad God. When in reality we see clearly in the scripture. He is described as slow to anger, long-suffering. He is not a mad God, but one that is holy, just, and righteous. This is the same God that was able to be moved into holding back judgment because of Abraham's plea. We see that. Abraham, um, he interceded for Sodom and Gomorrah. They were, they were a wicked city, and Abraham was able to talk down the city, uh, talk down the number of righteous required so that God would save the city. That is a merciful God who was willing to withhold his judging hand because of his relationship with Abraham. This is not a mad God. The Bible says also in Romans 2.4 that his goodness brings men to repentance. He is long-suffering and a good God stated in that scripture. We confuse God with being holy and righteous for anger because we fail to meet his standards. But in reality, if he was an angry God, as we portray, he wouldn't have sent his son to die on the cross. Because if we had an angry God, and he was truly an angry God moved by emotion, that emotion would take him over and he would be... If you're Okay, if, if I'm described as angry, I am moving in my anger. But we see that God is over emotion. He is not ruled by emotion. So while he has anger, it's because it's out of a righteousness, a holiness... And he still even then extends mercy. Extends mercy. He's a merciful God. He's not just an angry God. He's not an angry God. He's not a mad God. He has a judging side, but he is not an angry God. We have to do away with that. We have to do away with that. Um, so we tend to view him, as we take this viewpoint, we tend to view him in the same capacity as a human. And while he may share similar ways or traits, he is not the same as he is perfection. We got to remember he is perfection. Again, I'm not saying he doesn't have a righteous anger because we know this. It was displayed when Jesus was in the temple and he saw the temple, lack of a better term, being hoard out. He saw that it being sold and being changed and he saw and we see that Jesus got angry and he began to flip tables, whip the tables, uh, basically like tear the place up. 
We know he has a righteous anger. We know that. We know that. But we got to stop the narrative where we think and we act as if God moves on emotion. When in reality, he is moved purely by his holiness, his righteousness, and his essence, who he is. Who he is. Not the emotion, but who he is. Psalms 86 verse 5 says you lord are forgiving forgiving and good abounding in love to all who call to you all who call to you all who call to you not one not two not some all who call to you does that look like an angry god we take our abusers we take our 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 um trauma and we mold god into that of an angry father when in reality, he's a loving father who, even though we didn't deserve it, he came and sent his son. That is the gospel. The gospel is the good news. Remember, this is the simplicity of the gospel that we did not deserve it, but he sent his son, made a covenant with himself, sent his son, and died on the cross in our stead so we may be made alive in him. That is the simplicity of the gospel, and any other gospel preached is not. The right gospel. Number three. He is the one that loves you. And pursues you. With an undying love. This is working on the last point. But John 3.16 again. Says. Is the beloved scripture. For all Christians. And every the whole world knows this scripture. Everybody likes to quote it. Everybody likes to say it. But have you gotten it in your spirit. In your soul. It says for God so loved the world. That he was willing to give up. His only begotten son. So that his that none should perish. Who believe on him. But have everlasting life. And to not perish would mean in every single way. We can't just take it as oh, perish in the sense of um, hell. But we must take it as in death. As in like the destruction of your soul. Destruction of your spirit. Destruction of your body. He comes and he's worried about our earthly life. As he is our eternal one. If this wasn't so. He wouldn't have healed he wouldn't have healed. Jesus wouldn't have came to heal or break the works of the enemy. He wouldn't have healed or come to do those things. He would have left them. Left them the way they were because that's good enough. But no, clearly, 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 we see that Jesus healed everyone who came to him if they would only believe on him. Matthew 9.36 This is Matthew 9.36 says when he saw the crowds He had compassion on them Because they were harassed and helpless Like sheep without a shepherd This is how he views the lost This is how he views the lost If you think he's an angry God You think he's not a loving God This is how he views the lost Matthew 9.36 Remember Jesus came to reveal the Father Jesus came to reveal the Father, and the Holy Spirit came to reveal all that Jesus had said and done. So if Jesus came to reveal the Father, when he says things, when he is shown what he, what he, his mentality or his, his mindset or what his thoughts were, this is the thoughts of the Father. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless. And he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. He didn't see them as 
vipers. He saw the vipers as the people who were the pharisaical, the people who would not believe, the people who were so religious that they were unable to believe, unable to be um, childlike. But he views the lost. He views the lost. Not in a sense where he hates them. To damn them to hell immediately. But he is long suffering the Bible says. He is long suffering and extending his grace. He looks with love. Wanting to to draw the the lost in in, to himself instead. For Peter 2 Peter 3 verse 9 says the Lord is not slack. Concerning his promise, as some men may count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He is not willing that any should perish, not one soul. And I guarantee you his anger is more in the sense that he lost his creation to that sin. That sin took his creation rather than being mad because they didn't accept him. Because he wills all that none shall perish, but all come to repentance. Matthew 24 verse 14 even says, In the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. For we see that he even extends that mercy and grace to spread the gospel to the whole world, to provide that opportunity to all before the end, and he comes back. He is a merciful God like that. He's merciful. He loves and pursues a relationship to all that will accept him as Lord. Again, Romans 8, verse 31 through 32. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who could be against us? For he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, 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 us all. How will he not? Also with him, graciously give us all things. He's a giving, loving God. He gave, gave us his most precious thing. And his precious, most precious thing being his son, his only son. He graciously gave him and gave all things connected to him. And lavished his love and his grace and his blessings on whoever would receive his son. His son being the gift that we are to receive through the gift of the Holy Spirit. Gift meaning we don't deserve it. Gift, meaning we don't earn it. Gift, meaning all we do is go to the party. It's our birthday. Party like it's our birthday. Take the gift and receive it. Open the gift. That's all we have to do. Psalms 84.11 states that, For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory and no good thing. No good thing. Thing. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. He is freely giving of every good thing to those who are in him. What a God. Okay, this is point number four. Point number four. Moving on to point number four. He extends, he ever extends his grace so that we, we may not be taken out, but we may be able to get up when we fall. Proverbs 24 verse 16 says, For the righteous fall seven times, but they rise again. They rise again. Hebrews 4 verse 16 says, Let us then approach 
God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may be, may be able to receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. He is there in our time of need. He is there to comfort, to help, to pull us up in his grace whenever we need him. His grace is a way to pull us up and find grace to help us in our time of need. So we need him. We need that grace so frequently. We're living in a cruel, dark, fallen world. We make mistakes. We're not human. Um, excuse me. We are human. <laughs> we, we make mistakes. We are human. We aren't perfection. We are born in iniquity. And that's why we have to be reborn in the light. Because through the, re- the rebirth process, through the, the salvation process, we are burnt, birth, birthed again into the light and our nature becomes light. Our nature becomes light. It's like if you are a good person in the world's eye, if you're a good person, if you fall, if you make a mistake, no one views you as a bad person. They just see you as a good person who views, who made a mistake. Same thing for Jesus. When he marks us as light, we have become light as in him because he is our definition. He is our defining factor. He is our essence, our being, our all. He lives in us. So when we make a mistake, when we slip up and we sin and he is still our savior, he picks us up in his grace and we are not seen as people who are sinners. We are seen as those who are in him who just need help. We need Jesus. We need Jesus. And this is why he gave us this grace. So that we may not boast in ourselves and our works. Because we didn't do anything. But he did it all. So. (laughs) If your God is rigid. If your God is super reliant on perfection. You are not serving the God of the gospel. You are serving a perfection perfection-seeking, performative-seeking, toxic God who came and sent his son to be killed in vain because his blood wasn't strong enough to fulfill the law for us. That we feel so compelled to keep it for our righteousness. (laughs) Isn't that crazy? Isn't that isn't that freeing the thought that we don't have to do a thing to keep our righteousness, our, our salvation? It's all purely in the Lord. This isn't a toxic God, but a loving one. He is the one who stuck up for the woman caught in adultery. He rid her of her accusers and forgave her of her sins to extend a hand and to say, be transformed through his never-ending kindness. He said in Ephesians 4, 7, but to each of us, Grace has been given as Christ proportioned it. Like the lady caught in adultery. He saw her heart and he gave her grace and said, go and sin no more. And isn't it great that as that scripture said, Christ proportioned it? Christ apportioned it? He gives us what we need. He gives us as Christ apportioned it, which is a great thing because he is, according to back to Hebrews 4.16, We have not a high priest, which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmity, but was in all points tempted like we are and yet without sin. He knows what it's like. 
And he understands what we go through. How it feels to be tempted, tried, and persecuted in this life. But like John 16.33 says, we are able to be of good cheer because he has overcome those things. He's overcome the world. And in our struggles, he brings his grace. He covers us and picks us up. And he it becomes what we need. What a God. This is point number five. He has made us. The righteousness of Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. We are the righteousness of of God in him. So if we are still called a sinner. If you are still called a sinner by your God. Still called one who is bound. One that is dirty. One that is constantly seeking righteousness. Then you are serving one who again did not make you holy. But one who is keeping you in a never ending loop to get right with him. Even though all it should truly take is to have faith in Christ Jesus. And all that he had already done. Remember Jesus is the one. That when he went to his disciples in his last time, in his last few hours, he knew his last day, he went and washed their feet. And when Peter said, no, master, wash all of me, he said, no, I don't need to wash all of you for you have been made clean. You are clean. I just need to wash your feet, meaning to shake the dust off. Keep going. I just wash your feet so you may keep walking. We are made holy. But we still slip up. And we slip up because we're human. We're not perfect. But the God in us covers us. And when we need or we're unable to go on. He says come here let me wash your feet. Come here let me wash your feet. And through us. That what the Lord has done to us. We must do to others. We go and wash feet. We go and wash feet. That is showing the gospel of grace. Jeremiah 31. Verses 33 and 34. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. Declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each of them teach his neighbor and each his brother saying know the Lord. For they will know me. They will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. The law in that that scripture placed and written in our hearts is the presence of Jesus through his sweet and precious Holy Spirit. Uh, Remember, the Bible is a revelation of Christ Jesus. It's a revelation of the master. So God placing the fulfillment of the law that is in Jesus in us so that we he may no longer see our sin. And we now live in the finished work of Christ. And we are now called redeemed through the blood of Jesus called righteous. We are the righteousness of not our righteousness. Not God's not God's uh, looking at our righteousness. But the righteousness of Christ Jesus who already finished it all. Ephesians 1 verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins. In accordance, check this out, in accordance to what? The riches of God's grace. His riches, not our grace, not man's grace, but God's grace. We have been called the righteousness of Christ Jesus. Moving on to point six. He has made us kings and priests. 
He has made us kings and priests. From Genesis, we see that God have uh, gave us dominion. He has give us, given us dominion over the earth to upkeep and tend to. Adam was given the garden to tend to. Only after the fall do we see that he made us toil the ground by the sweat of our brow and operate in that pain. He did not intend to hurt. He did not intend for us to toil as a slave. But that was the consequence of that sin entering in the world. Revelations 1 verse 5. To him who love. To him who love. To him who love. To him who loves us. And has, has past tense, freed us from our sins by his blood. By what? His blood. Nothing else. No sacrifice. No, um, not even, not even your prayer, but by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and father to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. He has made us kings and priests to serve his God and father. So if we are serving still as a slave, we're not free. We are bound. We are lowly. We are broken constantly because we believe we must be so. We have that poverty mentality. We have that slave mentality. We are serving an idea of God that is more like a slave driver. We have been made royalty though. We have to see we have been made royalty as we have been adopted into the kingdom of God as in Christ. As one in Christ. We have been made to boldly come to the throne of grace. Not to hovel in like a dirty injured rat. 1 Peter 2 verse 9 says, But you are chosen race. You are a chosen race. A royal priesthood. A holy, holy, we call it holy nation. A people for his own possession. For his own possession. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. We've been made that of which would take a specific bloodline in the Old Testament. You would have to be a Levite to serve as a Levite. You would have to be of certain bloodline to serve. But we've been placed in the bloodline of Jesus to, to be one with him and to declare his goodness. Meaning there is no God has made us all. Heirs to his heirs to his glory, heirs to his his kingdom, like without without prejudice, just by whoever has faith and receives what he has to receive, what he has to give. We receive what he has to give. Um, John fifteen verse sixteen. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. And that fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. Doesn't that sound like a prince or a princess? Doesn't that sound like royalty? To be able to boldly approach the throne of grace as sons and daughters of Christ, the King of Kings, um, to ask whatever in his name of his son and to have it all answered? He in his goodness chose us to become like him. So we may be placed in a place of honor which we seriously, obviously didn't deserve. And if you look at even that term, king of kings alone speaks of us. While we may not be kings in the physical realm by title, we have been made the royalty of priesthood. We have been made the royalty, uh, a royal priesthood, rather. We are royalty in Christ Jesus. So if your God treats you as a slave, beats you down, <laughs> if he treats you as lowly, you are serving a toxic God. This is the last point for today. Number seven. God is not the enemy who tests through tribulation and persecution. 
I see this on Twitter all the time. I see this throughout the Christian circles running around a theology that is toxic in itself. It's toxic in its nature. I felt led to start this series just to debunk and straighten out some of this own doctrine. Because people seem to be confusing God with the enemy. (laughs) They think God is out to get them for every little thing they do. When in reality, he is for us, not against us. And the tactic of the enemy is to shift the blame onto God and away from Him, his own self. God is not the author of confusion. And all things good come from him. Jesus never sat there and thanked God or blamed God for the persecution or crucifixion which he took. He literally asked for the people's forgiveness, claiming they knew not what they did, meaning it wasn't God punishing or trying to teach him a lesson, but people working through the influence of satanic plots. For it even says, if you read in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 8, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the, the Lord of glory. Meaning it was not God, who obviously, for obviously God did know. But God had a plan to redeem and used Used the persecution to save. He made all ashes into beauty. He turned all to be made out for the good of those who love him. He took joy in the persecution for God's sake because of what he knew was to come. He had a kingdom mindset that bypassed the effects of the persecution, not a masochist, hurt me God attitude. There's a difference. We get stuck in an attitude where we place the sovereignty of God to a place where we forget about human will. We forget about free will. No, does this not make us above God? This does not make us above God in any way. But it proves that God so loving, so good, gave us a choice. Gave us a choice. Gave us ability to choose. Gave us a choice to be without becoming mindless robots. Who move according to every plan of another. Every plan of another. We don't move according to every thing, every direction, every every um, command because we're told to. That isn't true love to be a robot, mindless robot, but it's a mix. <laughs> we mix a mythological God, a Zeus-like God, a, 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 a humanistic, um, a toxic God into our theology of our of who, the biblical God. Did God make it to where Satan rebelled him? Rebelled against him and took a third of the angels? It, was that God? Was that anything that he planned to prove a point? Did the father place Adam in a garden and make him choose the fruit to prove we needed a healer? If the perfect representation of a father did that, every father on the earth would or should follow suit and manipulate to prove their point or to show a need for their children or family to rely on them. But you see how toxic that sounds? That's not who God is. But on the contrary, God is a deliverer. As stated, he gives grace for when you fall. He gives the Holy Spirit and power to live this life, to not only live it, but to thrive by the dominion of your flesh, through the crucifixion of your flesh and denying what it may try to tell you. You have been made holy. You have been made holy. Past tense, been made holy. So we have to renew our minds. And this crucifies the power of the flesh because we reminded that it no longer is our God, but it is dead. Oftentimes we view trials of life. We view the lust of the flesh as sent from God. When logically that cannot be true or else we serve a God who was abusing us to teach us.
Ephesians 2 verses 3 through 10. All of us, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of your flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who was rich in mercy, rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been made, you've been saved. And God raised us with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms of Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he may he might show the incomparable, incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace, grace, not works, grace you've been saved through faith. And is not this is not from yourselves, but it is the gift of of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us all to do. This is literally covering a few points we spoke of today. God is a loving God. So loving, He redeemed us. He made us and set us up to do good, even though we were deserving of death. He raised us up in Christ and seated us in glory as equals with Christ in the Spirit so that He may love us equally. God is not the Father that abuses and hurts His people, but one who covers and shows His goodness in any way He can. He has mercy for the sinner. He protects and sticks up for the marginalized. He is near to the brokenhearted. He is loving and a caring God. He is righteous he is merciful. He is loving. We need to stop making God a God of our own mind. A God made from our mind, from our experiences, our trauma, our lack of good parents, our lack of parenting, our even the absence of our parents. We must make God the God of the Bible. And rightfully divide, to study, to know, to know who God is. And not through our own eyes and ears, but through the eyes and ears and the teaching of the Holy Spirit. Let, us, let Him open our eyes and ears and teach us who God is. Let, us te- let Him teach us who God is. What a good God. Let me pray for you. Holy Spirit, we thank you for delivering this word. We know you are a good God. We know you are a good God. We know that you are ever present in our time of need. You are near to the brokenhearted. You are there when I need you, Holy Spirit. And we thank you that you are so faithful. We thank you. We ask you to reveal your sweet Jesus to us so that we may know him personally personally not of the text not through the text not through what we've heard from others but through our own personal relationship with him through the living word Jesus thank you for showing him we love you and we thank you in Jesus name amen 
So I hope this blessed you. I hope this word blessed you guys today. I hope you learned a lot. Um, as usual, if you would like to support, um, there's a link in the description of the of my YouTube. There's also um, in the link, I mean, in the description of the episodes, every episode and the podcast episode on, there's a link that is, um, it should be anchor.fm slash where the light is slash support you'll be able to support through anchor uh, support this ministry um if you have any prayer requests um if you want to donate even if you want to sow a seed of a one-time seed um there's a link also in the youtube for paypal you can do so through that um if you have prayer requests if you have any testimonies if you have anything feel free to message me um feel free to leave a comment feel free to do whatever it may take um and um that's it i hope you guys have a lovely day and it's as usual such a a, um honor to be able to speak into your lives um see you next time i'll see you guys later bye